0: Chapter 8, Control of Appetite Failure in self-control, the first sin. Adam and Eve in Eden were noble in stature and perfect in symmetry and beauty. They were sinless and in perfect health. What a contrast to the human race now. Beauty is gone, perfect health is not known, Everywhere we look, we see disease, deformity, and imbecility. I inquired the cause of this wonderful degeneracy and was pointed back to Eden. The beautiful Eve was beguiled by the serpent to eat of the fruit of the only tree of which God had forbidden them to eat or even touch it, lest they die. Eve had everything to make her happy. She was surrounded by fruit of every variety. Yet the fruit of the forbidden tree appeared more desirable to her than the fruit of all the other trees in the garden of which she could freely eat. She was intemperate in her desires. She ate, and through her influence, her husband ate also, and a curse rested upon them both. The earth also was cursed because of their sin. And since the fall, intemperance in almost every form has existed. The appetite has controlled reason. The human family have followed in a course of disobedience and, like Eve, have been beguiled by Satan to disregard the prohibitions God has made, flattering themselves that the consequences would not be as fearful as had been apprehended. The human family have violated the laws of health and have run to excess in almost everything. Disease has been steadily increasing. The cause has been followed by the effect. Noah's day and ours. Jesus, seated on the Mount of Olives, gave instruction to his disciples concerning the signs which should precede his coming. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. End of quote. The same sins that brought judgments upon the world in the days of Noah exist in our day. Men and women now carry their eating and drinking so far that it ends in gluttony and drunkenness. This prevailing sin, the indulgence of perverted appetite, inflamed the passions of men in the days of Noah and led to widespread corruption. Violence and sin reached to heaven. This moral pollution was finally swept from the earth by means of the flood. The same sins of gluttony and drunkenness benumbed the moral sensibilities of the inhabitants of Sodom so that crime seemed to be the delight of the men and women of that wicked city. Christ thus warns the world, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Christ has here left us a most important lesson. He would lay before us the danger of making our eating and drinking paramount. He presents the result of unrestrained indulgence of appetite. The moral powers are enfeebled so that sin does not appear sinful. Crime is lightly regarded and passion controls the mind until good principles and impulses are rooted out and God is blasphemed. All this is the result of eating and drinking to excess. This is the very condition of things which Christ declares will exist at his second coming. The Savior presents to us something higher to toil for than merely what we shall eat and drink and wherewithal we shall be clothed. Eating, drinking, and dressing are carried to such excess that they become crimes. They are among the marked sins of the last days and constitute a sign of Christ's soon coming. Time, money, and strength, which belong to the Lord, but which he has entrusted to us, are wasted in superfluities of dress and luxuries for the perverted appetite, which lessen vitality and bring suffering and decay. It is impossible to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God when we continually fill them with corruption and disease by our own sinful indulgence. One of the strongest temptations that man has to meet is upon the point of appetite. In the beginning, the Lord made man upright. He was created with a perfectly balanced mind, the size and strength of all his organs being fully and harmoniously developed but through the seductions of the wily foe the prohibition of God was disregarded and the laws of nature wrought out their full penalty Abstemiousness increases vigor Men who are engaged in giving the last message of warning to the world A message which is to decide the destiny of souls should make a practical application in their own lives of the truths they preach to others. They should be examples to the people in their eating, in their drinking, and in their chaste conversation and deportment. Gluttony, indulgence of the baser passions, and grievous sins are hidden under the garb of sanctity by many professed representatives of Christ throughout our world. There are men of excellent natural ability whose labor does not accomplish half what it might if they were temperate in all things. Indulgence of appetite and passion beclouds the mind, lessens physical strength and weakens moral power. Their thoughts are not clear their words are not spoken in power, are not vitalized by the Spirit of God so as to reach the hearts of the hearers. As our first parents lost Eden through the indulgence of appetite, our only hope of regaining Eden is through the firm denial of appetite and passion. Abstemiousness in diet and control of all the passions will preserve the intellect and give mental and moral vigor, enabling men to bring all their propensities under the control of the higher powers and to discern between right and wrong, the sacred and the common. All who have a true sense of the sacrifice made by Christ in leaving his home in heaven to come to this world that he might by his own life show man how to resist temptation will cheerfully deny self and choose to be partakers with christ of his sufferings the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom those who overcome as christ overcame will need to constantly guard themselves against the temptations of satan the appetite and passions should be restricted and under the control of enlightened conscience, that the intellect may be unimpaired, the perceptive powers clear, so that the workings of Satan and his snares may not be interpreted to be the providence of God. Many desire the final reward and victory which are to be given to overcomers, but are not willing to endure toil, privation, and denial of self, as did their Redeemer. It is only through obedience and continual effort that we shall overcome as Christ overcame. The controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands, when, if they had conquered on this point, They would have had moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. But those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian character. The continual transgression of man for 6,000 years has brought sickness, pain, and death as its fruits. And as we near the close of time. Satan's temptation to indulge appetite will be more powerful and more difficult to overcome. Relation of Habits to Sanctification It is impossible for any to enjoy the blessing of sanctification while they are selfish and gluttonous. These groan under a burden of infirmities because of wrong habits of eating and drinking, which do violence to the laws of life and health. Many are enfeebling their digestive organs by indulging perverted appetite. The power of the human constitution to resist the abuses put upon it is wonderful, but persistent wrong habits in excessive eating and drinking will enfeeble every function of the body. Let these feeble ones consider what they might have been had they lived temperately and promoted health instead of abusing it. In the gratification of perverted appetite and passion, even professed Christians cripple nature in her work and lessen physical, mental, and moral power. Some who are doing this claim to be sanctified to God. But such a claim is without foundation. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. Ye brought that which was torn, and the lame and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? End of quote. Let us give careful heed to these warnings and reproofs, though addressed to ancient Israel, they are no less applicable to the people of God today. And we should consider the words of the apostle in which he appeals to his brethren, by the mercies of God, to present their bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is true sanctification. It is not merely a theory, an emotion, or a form of words, but a living, active principle entering into the everyday life. It requires that our habits of eating, drinking, and dressing be such as to secure the preservation of physical, mental, and moral health, that we may present to the Lord our bodies, Not an offering corrupted by wrong habits, but a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Let none who profess godliness regard with indifference the health of the body, and flatter themselves that intemperance is no sin, and will not affect their spirituality. A close sympathy exists between the physical and the moral nature decision of character required. To deny appetite requires decision of character. For want of this decision, multitudes are ruined. Weak, pliable, easily led. Many men and women fail utterly of becoming what God desires them to be. Those who are destitute of decision of character cannot make a success of the daily work of overcoming. The world is full of besotted, intemperate, weak-minded men and women and how hard it is for them to become genuine Christians. What does the great medical missionary say? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It is Satan's work to tempt men to tempt their fellow men. He strives to induce men to be laborers together with him in his work of destruction. He strives to lead them to give themselves so wholly to the indulgence of appetite and to the exciting amusements and follies which human nature naturally craves but which the word of God decidedly forbids that they can be ranked as his helpers, working with him to destroy the image of God in man. Through the strong temptations of principalities and powers, many are ensnared. Slaves to the caprice of appetite, they are besotted and degraded. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Those who have a constant realization that they stand in this relation to God will not place in the stomach food which pleases the appetite, but which injures the digestive organs. They will not spoil the property of God by indulging in improper habits of eating, drinking, or dressing. They will take great care of the human machinery, realizing that they must do this in order to work in co-partnership with God. He wills that they should be healthy, happy, and useful. But in order for them to be this, they must place their wills on the side of His will. Bewitching temptations to follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are to be met on every side. The exercise of firm principle and strict control of the appetites and passions in the name of Jesus the Conqueror will alone carry us safely through life. The futile attempt to reform gradually. Some say, when an effort is made to enlighten them on this point, I will leave off by degrees. But Satan laughs at all such decisions. He says, they are secure in my power. I have no fear of them on that ground but he knows that he has no power over the man who, when sinners entice him, has moral courage to say no squarely and positively. Such a one has dismissed the companionship of the devil, and as long as he holds to Jesus Christ, he is safe. He stands where heavenly angels can connect with him giving him moral power to overcome. Peter's Appeal The Apostle Peter understood the relation between the mind and the body and raised his voice in warning to his brethren. Dearly Beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Many regard this text as a warning against licentiousness only, but it has a broader meaning. It forbids every injurious gratification of appetite or passion. Every perverted appetite becomes a warring lust. Appetite was given us for a good purpose, not to become the minister of death by being perverted and thus degenerating into lusts which war against the soul. The strength of the temptation to indulge appetite can be measured only by the inexpressible anguish of our Redeemer in that long fast in the wilderness. He knew that the indulgence of perverted appetite would so deaden man's perceptions that sacred things could not be discerned. Adam fell by the indulgence of appetite. Christ overcame by the denial of appetite. And our only hope of regaining Eden is through firm self-control. If the power of indulged appetite was so strong upon the race that in order to break its hold, the divine Son of God in man's behalf had to endure a fast of nearly six weeks, What a work is before the Christian, yet, however great the struggle, he may overcome. By the help of that divine power which withstood the fiercest temptations that Satan could invent, he too may be entirely successful in his warfare with evil and at last may wear the victor's crown in the kingdom of God by the power of the will and the grace of god through appetite satan controls the mind and the whole being thousands who might have lived have passed into the grave physical mental and moral wrecks because they sacrificed all their powers to the indulgence of appetite the necessity For the men of this generation, to call to their aid the power of the will, strengthened by the grace of God, in order to withstand the temptations of Satan and resist the least indulgence of perverted appetite, is far greater than it was several generations ago. But the present generation have less power of self-control than had those who lived then Few have moral stamina to resist temptation, especially of the appetite, and to practice self-denial. To some, it is a temptation too strong to be resisted to see others eat the third meal, and they imagine they are hungry, when the feeling is not a call of the stomach for food, but a desire of the mind that has not been fortified with firm principle and discipline to self-denial. The walls of self-control and self-restriction should not in a single instance be weakened and broken down. Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. Those who do not overcome in little things will have no moral power to withstand greater temptations. Carefully consider your diet. Study from cause to effect. Cultivate self-control. Keep appetite under the control of reason. Never abuse the stomach by overeating. But do not deprive yourself of the wholesome palatable food that health demands. In your association with unbelievers, do not allow yourselves to be swerved from right principles. If you sit at their table, eat temperately and only of food that will not confuse the mind. Keep clear of intemperance. You cannot afford to weaken your mental or physical powers lest you become unable to discern spiritual things. Keep your mind in such a condition that God can impress it with the precious truths of His Word. A question of moral courage. Some of you feel as though you would like to have somebody tell you how much to eat. This is not the way it should be. We are to act from a moral and religious standpoint. We are to be temperate in all things because an incorruptible crown, a heavenly treasure is before us. And now I wish to say to my brethren and sisters, I would have moral courage to take my position and to govern myself. I would not want to put that on someone else. You eat too much and then you are sorry and so you keep thinking upon what you eat and drink. Just eat that which is for the best and go right away feeling clear in the sight of heaven and not having remorse of conscience. We do not believe in removing temptations entirely away from either children or grown persons. We all have a warfare before us and must stand in a position to resist the temptations of Satan. And we want to know that we possess the power in ourselves to do this. I am given a message to give to you. Eat at regular periods. By wrong habits of eating, you are preparing yourself for future suffering. It is not always safe to comply with invitations to meals even though given by your brethren and friends who wish to lavish upon you many kinds of food. You know that you can eat two or three kinds of food at a meal without injury to your digestive organs. When you are invited out to a meal shun the many varieties of food that those who have invited you set before you. This you must do if you would be a faithful sentinel. When food is placed before us, which, if eaten, would cause the digestive organs hours of hard work, we must not, if we eat this food, blame those who set it before us for the result. God expects us to decide for ourselves to eat that food only which will not cause suffering to the digestive organs. Victory through Christ. Christ fought the battle upon the point of appetite and came off victorious. And we also can conquer through strength derived from him. Who will enter in through the gates into the city? Not those who declare that they cannot break the force of appetite. Christ has resisted the power of him who would hold us in bondage. Though weakened by his long fast of forty days, he withstood temptation and proved by this act that our cases are not hopeless. I know that we cannot obtain the victory alone and how thankful we should be that we have a living Savior who is ready and willing to aid us. A pure and noble life A life of victory over appetite and lust is possible to everyone who will unite his weak, wavering human will to the omnipotent, unwavering will of God.